<clears throat> but I mean, when you, dude, when you texted me, when you texted me and you were like, this movie's fucking whack. That was the exact thought I had. And I was thinking to myself while I'm watching, I was like, we need to try to keep these as clean as possible. But yeah, there were several times where I audibly said, what the fuck was that? Dude, there were multiple instances where I was watching the movie and I realized my mouth was just wide open. <laughs> like I was just in awe of what I was trying to comprehend. It was so, <laughs> it was just weird. I was like, I was sitting right there in that chair, just with my mouth yeah. wide. I was like, dude, it has putting my chin up. Like I can't, I can't, can't do that. I can't think I can't of the last like that time that I, I watched the movie that was that just obscure, just absolutely out there. <laughs> just completely purposefully. I think it was purposeful how obscure and how confusing it was trying to be. Oh, it absolutely was. And okay. It's called it's called a psychological horror. I wouldn't necessarily classify it as a horror movie. I didn't think I didn't think the film itself was scary as much right. as it was um, uncomfortable. Yeah, super unnerving. Like, but it wasn't uncomfortable like where it was hard to watch or or mm-hmm. anything like that. It wasn't the imagery wasn't overly grotesque. It was uncomfortable in the same way that. Like when you're little at a friend's house and they start arguing with their parents, it's like right. that kind of uncomfortable. Right. It, right? It's, it's uncomfortable. Like when you wake up from a bad dream, you're like, I didn't. Yes. Why did I dream that? Yeah. Like, ugh, no, just, I didn't want to. I didn't want to think about that. Wrong. Yeah. Like you have no control over yeah. like the thoughts you had, but that's what this movie was the entire time. Yeah. It, yeah not unsettling. Like, um, like a more, like you said, like a more graphic horror movie where you're unsettled by like the gore or the death or the actual like physical pain that people are experiencing. Yeah. All the pain in this movie, all the the horror comes from, I think, I think, and we're going to get into spoilers a little here, inside the mind of the janitor. Right. Who I, who think, I believe... Um, and I thought this from pretty much the beginning. I believe yeah. the janitor is Jake. Mm-hmm. I I picked that up the first time. Like, the first time they went to the janitor, like, in the school, I was like, okay, this is a weird cutaway. Yeah. But then they did it again, like, 15 minutes into the movie. And I thought, I think I think this old guy might be um, might be Jake. Yeah. Um, who is, I can't think of the actor's name right now. But um, um, Is it Jesse Plemons? Jesse Plemons. Yeah. Plemons. Yeah, after this, the kind of second little cutaway they took to the school, I think they, were, they when they were they started talking about Oklahoma about 10, 15 minutes into the movie when they were driving to his parents' place, they started talking about Oklahoma. Yeah, and then they cut away to the they cut away to the school and the janitor, you know, watching the people seeing numbers from Oklahoma. Who would you say is the is the main character? I wouldn't even think I wouldn't even say that there's a protagonist. I guess you could say that um, that. Jesse Buckley's character is the protagonist, but even she is kind of unreliable. But that's the thing, though. If we're going off the fact that everything that's happening is from the perspective of the janitor, who is Jake as an older man, then her character doesn't exist. Her character is a fabrication in his mind of a woman he met sometime in the past, right? Right. And it's... 
that's kind of shown in the way that her story specifically Mm -hmm. constantly changes. Right. The way that they describe the first time that they've met each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the names that she's called. Sometimes she's called Louisa. Sometimes it's Lucy. Lucy. Sometimes it's um, Lucia was one of them. And that's why if, um, if you look at the, the cast and characters list, Mm -hmm. um, once again, we have a movie where she doesn't have a name. She's listed as young woman, young woman. Yeah. Very interesting point. It took me, I know I, I texted you this cause I watched it this morning. Um, I had, to, I texted you and you were like, you know, when are we going to record? And I was like, I need to watch the last 20 minutes. I need to watch the ballet number because yeah. I think there's a lot happening there that I didn't quite get the first time. So I need to watch it again because I think this is, this is, this will help me. You called make it, more you sense called it, it rewatching the, the ballet sequence. Yeah. Um, I know that part as, um, the portion that I skipped through because I didn't like that, <laughs> that ballet Why sequence. Why did you skip through it? Dude, that ballet sequence. Come on, man. Just seemed like it was not, at least for me, adding anything to the film. I think it added a lot to the film. I, I, and, and here's why, here's why. Okay. So, you know, as the sequence starts, the two, the two dancers, the two characters. Yeah. They, they come into frame and they sit behind each character to where they're out of view from one another. Yep. So they basically become those two, right? So this whole routine dance sequence thing actually has ties. I actually read, I read about this. It has ties to uh, the play Oklahoma because the creators of the play okay. liked to do these kind of offshoot dance numbers in their plays. And what happens in this in this ballet routine is Jake's perspective of what he kind of wished would happen with this girl that he met, you know, sometime in college or in his whoever past. she was, right. Whoever she might be, because we don't actually, we, we don't know her name. Her right. name is Lucy or Lucia or something along those lines. But what that recital does is it kind of, it kind of takes you through the entire film as it was, it's like a it's like a wrap up almost of what we've seen in the movie. Yeah, and it's how he wishes things would have happened. But at the end of that at the end of that routine, the janitor comes in and kills the idealistic version of Jake, which is himself. Right, but it's not who he is. It's not right. It's 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 who he imagines who himself he, in right the the most idealistic way. It's who he wishes he could be, but sure. he's not, and he ends up his actual self ends up killing the idealistic version of himself, which I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to get into that because that's just on another level that I can't even comprehend. It's just so, well, for one, it's dark. It's kind of depressing. The idea that, you know, you can imagine this idealistic version of yourself only to eventually get rid of it by, well, either, you know, killing it as, you see in this movie becoming a janitor or yeah it's not having such it's a it's not the life that he would have wanted for himself and so he saw that as kind of the death of right um his idealistic self mm-hmm. i thought um i thought overall i think kind of like similar to tenant the ideas on initial viewing were really confusing but after some time and a little bit of thought and rewatching. 
they kind of became clear, but not to the point where I'm completely convinced that the janitor is Jake. I'm not completely, like, I think that is what it is. But until the creators come out and say, yeah, that's what we thought about, I don't know if that's entirely their idea that they had. I don't know. I don't know. There's a little ambiguity there. Because, like, at the end of the movie, um, when the credits roll, you know, you they take you back to the exterior of the school, and there's snow over the truck. Yeah. But at the very end, the very end at the end of the credits, you hear a car start up and start driving away. So what is that? What does it mean? I don't know. I'm not sure. I I got really confused at the end, when, and I didn't even intend to do that. I was just, you know, the credits started rolling, and I went over to, like, get a drink of water or something, and then at the end, I heard a car turn on. The car just turned on. Yeah. What's happening? So while I think we have the right idea, I don't know. I'm not sold. I think that the the story and the way that the story is told mm-hmm. um, is simple, but simple does not mean it's easy to understand. Right. Um, the whole idea of this guy, Jake is bringing his girlfriend home to meet his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but as audiences, and even it seems to a degree, the characters in the film um, are kind of unsure about what is real and what is not. Right. What has actually happened and what hasn't because the stories mm-hmm. are changing. Um, right. The characters are changing as well, both in physical appearance and also right. the way that they act. Um, yeah, there's a couple scenes where the woman from the movie that the janitor watches, like the woman that's in that movie becomes Lucy or what, what do you know, whatever you want to call her. She becomes her in the narr- like the current narrative that we are involved. In. Yes. And that was kind of driven along by the phone calls. And I think this movie mm-hmm. had, um, it had an interesting take on technology and mm-hmm. maybe technology. I might be reading too much into it, but technology's role in, um, us not fully understanding as people, yeah. not fully understanding what's real and what isn't. Right. Um, and, but it kind of drove along the point of the changing narrative, um, because our, our, I guess, main character, the young woman, yeah. she keeps receiving phone calls from the names that she is getting called throughout the right. film. Right. The first time is when they're, uh, first getting in the car to drive and she gets a phone call mm-hmm. from Lucy right after he calls right. her Lucy. Right. Later she gets a phone call from Yvonne, which is the character in the fake, in the fake Robert the fake Zemeckis movie. Ro- Robert Zemeckis yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. And that part, by the way, I, that actually made me laugh out loud when, when the credits rolled for the fake movie, and it just said directed by directed. Robert Zemeckis. That was hilarious. What the hell is like, that? What are they trying and to say? And it was just out of nowhere. Just yeah. such a strange thing. <laughs> kind of goofy. Yeah. Yeah. D- definitely goofy. But what's kind of weird, it seems like the young woman is the only one who actively um, questions the changes that are happening around her. Right. Um, Jake seems to be aware Mm-hmm. that not everything is lining up as far as continuity. Right. But he accepts it. Um, I don't know that she questions it, though. Because she just seems to kind of walk through it all the whole time. She just, like, you know, um, Jake's parents begin to age and then, you know, become younger very rapidly. Like, like they'll walk out of a scene and then walk back into the next one, and they'll be a completely different age. But it doesn't seem like she's confused by it. 
it just seems like she's just like, oh, okay. Like she just walks into the next room and just kind of goes with it. That was the first thing I noticed. Like when those scenes ended, I was like, why is she like, why is no one addressing the fact that everyone's like aging super fast or becoming younger? I don't know. It was weird. Except for Jake and the young woman. I don't think they changed in physical appearance at all until the very end. Right. Um, And when they do in that final scene in the, when Jake's character is singing on stage and and the young woman is in the, in the crowd, in the crowd, those changes are very much, it's all done very obviously with makeup and wigs. It's not made to look real. Right. And that's the one time that we see them change in physical appearance, mm-hmm. but also pretty much every character we've seen throughout the film is in the crowd, right? Um, made to look falsely older than they actually are. But again, I think the use of that is purposeful because it's, again, it's another imagination of what Jake wishes his life would have gotten to. Of the, you right. know, that's why his, that's why his parents look, their age looks fake too, because every person in that scenario is a, is a, a fictionalized version of themselves. And even Jake himself is because he doesn't age. He doesn't look like his aged self. Because we, we, if, if we go with the janitor theory, he doesn't look at all like his aged self yeah. in that final scene where he... I think that song's also from Oklahoma. There's a lot of Oklahoma thrown into this movie. Um, because a lot, of, a lot of Oklahoma's about like, this small town guy trying to get a girl and he can't. But... I mean, Jake doesn't even get to that point. He just sees a girl in a bar. Because you remember um, the conversation she has with the janitor when she walks into the school. She says, you know, he was just this weird, this creeper. Just this creepy guy. And she says 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And he never talked to me. Yeah. And I think that's almost like the janitor's visualizing her as like in that moment, like trying to come to grips with the fact that all this imaginary stuff is just him trying to not just like not just imagine what could have been but try and like convince himself that he could have done it and then he hears that from her that he's just a creepy guy i never heard i never saw him again he never spoke to me i think that's like that that gripping realization moment that like you know this is completely fabricated Everything we just heard, everything we just saw, is un is is fake. It's yeah. all it's all fake. Well, and running with the idea that um, this everything that we watched is kind of his own imagination, his own um, depiction of <clears throat> potentially real ish events. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how much of it would have been true, how much of it would have been false. But right. even in his subconscious, when he is um, receiving these accolades, like his, his mother tells the young woman over and over about the awards that he won right, right. when he was younger. And he's constantly correcting her too, right? Cause she keeps getting it wrong. But there's always the, but at the end, she says he won this award, but that was without any special talents or right, abilities. Right. There was always, yeah. it always made it seem like he was undeserving of it until mm-hmm. the end where it finally wraps up with him receiving an, an award and then singing and dancing on stage in front yeah. of a crowd of people yeah. where in his mind, he's finally getting what he deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to the rest of the movie where anything positive brought up about him um, and what he has accomplished, mm-hmm. there's always a caveat. Right. I really, um, 
I really uh, thought the setting of the film helped kind of, and the the uh, cinematography choices, shooting it in 4 by 3 I think both of those points really helped drive home the um, kind of surrealness of the whole thing. Because, you know, the, the purpose for widescreen, for any sort of widescreen format, is that it, it makes it feel more real. Because we see in that same kind of, that same kind of box. Right. The box that we see reality in is a lot closer to 16 by 9 or 2.4 by 1 than 4 by 3. 4 by 3 looks a little unnatural. It's kind of, you know, it's almost square. And it really kind of boxes people in. But it's also not enjoyable to watch. As no. far As far it's, as how it looks, I, so I watched it on my cell phone. And uh, watching, watching that aspect ratio yeah. on my phone was like, it, it almost feels like wasted space and it kind of is but the the way they shot it is so mm -hmm. claustrophobic and that right that plays a role in the tension that it builds up right too. i think yeah i think for that reason it, it makes it makes the the four by three shot worthwhile because it was when i first saw it i was like oh god another another director trying to do some weird shit with with you know, with his cinematography. Yeah. But then as I watched the movie, I went, okay, this actually was a very purposeful choice and it. It made sense. And I think to me, it, it added to the suspense and just kind of the whole, the uncomfortable feeling of this dreamlike movie that's unfolding. So I thought that was, I thought that was perfect. It was a perfect choice to have. And then adding in the fact that they're in a snowy blizzard the whole time, you know, trying to unravel this thing in that setting made it also kind of equally just cold. It made me feel cold. Well, a blizzard setting, um, they're in a car for, I'd say the majority. A, a good portion of, of the movie is of in the, the car. Movie. Yeah. Um, and it makes them feel, it makes them feel like they're stuck. And you don't really, right. you see when they're driving, when they're in the car, you see the snow flying by and occasionally a sign or mm -hmm. something like that, but they're not yeah. going anywhere. So many things are done purposefully in this movie. Being in the car the whole time, having the, the format be four by three, being in snow, kind of making these things seem really cold and kind of confined. It's like a lot of the scenes feel like you are in the mind, like it represents the mind of the character because it's so it's so contained well and they everything talk, is they, so contained they talked about it so his um his idea of this girlfriend that he's bringing home mm -hmm. she she's an artist and she's a poet um but she talks about how um she likes to make art that if you feel sad that's the landscape that she builds right right um and then the the father in the movie says something about well how can you make how can you make a painting feel sad without a sad person in it and she mm -hmm. says imagine yourself in it right or when she's talking when they're driving and she says that the whole landscape is is melancholy but she likes it like the mm -hmm. it's very i think a lot of that scene is foreshadowing of what's actually happening yeah because at a that bit. point we still don't quite know what's happening like you could like i kind of had a guess 15 you know early on but i wasn't i mean i wasn't really sure but all that, yeah, that kind of talking about, well, you know, I don't paint people in there. You know, well, why don't you put people? How do you know? Yeah, how do you know if it's it's something is sad if there's not a person in there feeling sad in it? And that's the whole, I mean, that's the whole point of this this story is that he's trying to experience, he, he's not necessarily trying to experience sadness by recreating this this story of him, you know, 
introducing this girl to his parents. I think he's trying to feel what it would be like to be happy, to feel loved. But I think that whole conversation about, well, I don't, I don't do it with people. That's this whole movie is, is Kaufman, Charlie Kaufman, the director trying to paint a picture with no one in it and then telling us to imagine people in it or imagine us seeing what he's going through with nothing there. Because in, in, you know, by the end, the first two hours of the movie is nothing. There's nothing there. We're just, we're, if, if, if reality, if we were looking at reality, we would just be watching the camera go through an empty room, through an empty house. No one would be there. Right. Well, in the end, it was um, presumably Jake imagining people in places where they weren't originally, Mm -hmm. whether that's his girlfriend, maybe even his parents. Um, You could kind of get the idea that maybe they weren't so supportive when he was being raised and there was um, you know, some of his own insecurities tied back to his parents several times while they're all at dinner together talking, he will, um, you know, he'll yell at his mom for saying something wrong or he'll, he'll just look at his, his parents and shake his head. Like, that's not right. That's not how it's supposed to happen. Right. Right. Oh man. I didn't think about it that. So yeah. So all like the corrections and all of the, Hmm. Dang. And even out, even outside of that, um, there's a lot of times where um, he's he avoids physical touch, both from his his girlfriend and mm-hmm. from his mom. Right. They'll lean right. in to give him a hug or give him a kiss, and he backs mm-hmm. away. Even right. just reaching over to to touch his arm. And to me, maybe that signifies that that's not something that he ever felt. He he didn't feel affection growing up. He didn't feel affection from um, you know the, his girlfriend or who he wishes was his girlfriend right, as he got right. older. So it's a new, it's a new thing to him. And maybe that's why it's so uncomfortable too. Hmm. Okay. We're going to pause here, take a break because I have to reset the camera. <laughs> nice. But, um, I think that was a good stopping point. Oh man. That was, I mean, that was like 28 minutes right there. Really? Yeah, dude. It's not bad. I think I, I don't, I think we're about wrapped up with this. We one are. I, I have a couple more things that I wanted to say, but I yeah. think we'll probably be pretty close. Maybe 10 more minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think, yeah. Are you going to cut, um, are you going to cut the audio when you edit it down? Or are you just going to leave? Well, I mean, breaks and everything. No. So I'll like, I'll do kind of what I did with part one and two of tenant, but I'll just, since, I mean, this video is going to be maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just cut, like, I'll just do a fade in, fade out again, Okay. but just do it. Or I could just say we're going to take a break and be right back, like well, what I did. If there's nothing of substance right here, you should cut this out of the audio. Well, obviously, oh, cut this out of the audio? Yeah, if it's not hard to do. It's not hard to do, but it that makes it not uncut. Dumb. Dude, but every single one of our every single one of our recordings is going to have a cut at the 30-minute mark. And then it's just going to be talking about us, or it's going to be us talking about how we had to make a cut. And whether or not we should make the cut in the video or in the audio. Well, we and won't always have to do this, Every single Tom. time, we're going to have to talk about how we're going to have to reset the camera. Oh, it's been 28 minutes. Let's reset the camera. I'm not going to say that every time. Every single time. I'm going to so say we're going to take a quick go, break and be right back. Silence. I'm just going to say we'll take a quick break and be right back. In the video, yeah, but on the podcast, we're not going to go silent because we're still recording. I know, but we're talking about nothing. So? Yeah. Yeah. What do you have for that, buddy? Nothing. Go. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I want to find a camera that um, has unlimited recording time 
so we don't have to stop every 30 minutes to change the how how do you have unlimited recording time well i mean that like until it fills the memory card yeah until the memory card filled but with like a 32 gigabyte memory card we can record like oh like five hours yeah yeah like like a ton of time in in hd in hd video and what we can what we can also do to not have the battery issue is um just plug the camera into a wall like with a like get a chart like get a charging cable mm-hmm. that actually just plugs it into a wall so we don't have battery problems that might be something we can look for while we're uh dude out and about we don't have money i have some money yeah i have a little money i just don't want to spend it here's the thing i lived with my aunt for the first year of being here and uh my rent was super cheap so i was able to save a lot of my paychecks despite the fact that my paychecks are really small hey. <laughs> <laughs> Working a lot of hours for not a lot of money, huh? Working 45 hours a week for poop pay. Yes, that is me. Okay, let's get back into the let's get let's get our Dude. let's get back into the movie because I'm just sad now. You just made me really sad thinking about the fact well, I guess that, it fits the theme uh, then. God. Dude, I think um what's her name? Tony Collette, the mother. Yes. She's establishing herself as a mainstay in horror movies. 100%. After she just did heredity, right? was her most recent. Yes. Um, well, before Heredi- this one, heredity. Oh, hereditary. Hereditary. There yeah. We go. There it is. Um, I don't remember that. Movie. I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, I think she was in the sixth sense. Yes. Yeah. She plays, um, she plays the kid's mother yeah. in the sixth sense and not gonna lie. My favorite movie of hers is The Sixth Sense. Really? She is, man, I think she is money in that she, movie. And, dude, she was brilliant in this. Oh, yeah. She, oh, she's amazing in this. She's not only is she establishing herself in horror, but she is like, she's killing it in every movie. She becomes an instant highlight of a movie. And she's barely in this one. Yeah. She's yeah, not she's in it not, very long. She's not in it very long. But think about, we kind of talked about the changing. Um, characters, how they change their appearance, they change the way they right, act. Right, and she nailed it the entire time. Oh yeah. Um, her her physical acting as well. She just did so good. Um, and I I think that goes for most of the cast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the way that Charlie Kaufman kind of played on, you know, typical horror movie tropes, mm-hmm. but didn't give us the. I don't know if you would call it the satisfaction, but didn't give us the satisfaction of being scared, right? There's the right. the door to the basement that's all scratched up and taped over. Mm-hmm. But when when the young woman goes to the basement, there's nothing scary down there. Right. It's or, just a nor- yeah, it's just a basement. Or or the dog that is like shaking off the water but he doesn't stop and it's right. just so uncomfortable. Right. But nothing scary he, happens. He doesn't give you the satisfaction of like fear or horror that you can see. Right. All the horror and all the 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 just really gritty kind of weird shit that happens in the movie is completely what's not seen or what's kind of, you know, what's kind of in the mind. That's what made that's what made I mean, it was a it was a scary movie. It was, but it wasn't I wasn't afraid of like what I was seeing. I was afraid of what the our our main character was thinking. All this like super depressing stuff and all these you know this creepy imagery was all a product of his of his head and that's that's freaky man that's really freaky right and and our our narrator who is the young woman so we're Mm -hmm. kind of experiencing it from her point of view obviously she's not a reliable narrator true but the way that she's never able to complete her thoughts the way that 
um, we're hearing her thought. She's she's narrating, and then she'll be interrupted by what actually is happening in the movie. So mm-hmm. she never gets to complete her thoughts. It's always like we're waiting to see what she's going to do next because right. the whole point of the movie, the whole point of the title is I'm thinking of ending things. She is explaining the entire time how she wants to end things with Jake, with her boyfriend. Right. But she never gets the chance. And right. it, the way that they built tension here, I think, was masterful. Even mm-hmm. oh yeah, even in the non-scary parts, when they're just driving down the road in this snowstorm mm-hmm. right. and they're having conversation, right. like the conversations between the young woman and between Jake are they're deep and they're intellectual conversations, but right. it almost feels like they're competing with each other yes. constantly. I think that's a pot, but there's I, there's also. Probably my, one of my big negatives from the movie is that sometimes those conversations, the intellectual conversations, get a little heavy-handed. Like the dialogue they're having is just so... It's that that bougie kind of, kind of just, you know, rich white asshole. Did you just say bougie? Yeah, bougie. Don't do that. It's like what rich people talk about. Like rich people talk about that stuff. You know, no one's going to connect. Like what? No like one, poetry and theater? No one at home. No, no, no. You don't appreciate the arts, Gus? No, I love the arts. But <laughs> some of the conversations they have, the way they talk to each other about it just feels really kind of dense and like, like you have to be of a certain class to understand how they're speaking or what they're talking about. Because some of the stuff they talk about, I've never heard of, which isn't, which isn't a, that's, I mean, that's just me not being educated and I'm fine with that. But I don't know the way they like speak about certain things in some of those scenes, like as the dial, as they kept continuing talking, I was like, man, wrap this dialogue up because I understand, I already understand what they're trying to do here. See, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it because it was intentional. And later on, like, for example, later on when we see. Um, Jake's childhood bedroom. There's all of the books and all mm-hmm. of the um, plays and stuff like that right. on his shelf that they were talking about. Right. There again is a glimpse into his mind, a glimpse into right. his his ideal um, partner that mm-hmm. he's thinking of is someone right. who can have those conversations with right. him. Right, because she's, because in his mind, well, I mean, if you think about it though, like the poem she does, she that she wrote quote unquote wrote that right. she recites at the beginning is a poem from a book that he owns. Yes. So you're right. It's kind of leaning into the idea that his ideal woman would know she would know those poems. Right. But they don't present it that way. They present it as her having written it. Right. So he wants a woman who, who has the mentality of, of a writer, right. Of someone he's read before. Cause that's the only way he can piece her together is through things that he's read or, or parts of his life that he's lived. So her entire character is a, is a fabrication of who she might actually be. But I don't think it's, it's not parts of his life that he's read. It's parts of his life. Maybe he's experienced through books or through film. Um, shortly after they see that, you know, that fake movie in the middle, or he's right. watching the janitors watching this fake movie mm-hmm. in the classroom while he eats. Shortly after that, he says that um, that the young woman was a waitress, and she gets up and she starts clearing the table and she starts right, acting right. like a waitress because right. that's what he saw on film, and to him that is yeah. what is ideal. Right. Or it is um, a poet. Or later we see right. the the artwork that she said was hers 
but it's all over the basement at his parents' house. Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. the art's on the walls and the paint is on the floor. Right. Um, it, it's it's not his direct experiences. It's what he has seen, and he wants someone like who he's read about. Right. He wants someone like who he's seen on film. Right. That's what I'm saying, though. That's what I'm saying. She is created through things that he has he himself has consumed to try and create someone else. That's the only way he can create her is by things sure. that he's like you said, the books he's read or the movies he's watched. So her entire character, like that might be what she actually looked like in real life. But we can't actually know who she is as a person because who she is in the film is what Jake wants her to be. Yeah, right? absolutely. He wants her to be these things that he has consumed himself, books of poetry, films about waitresses, things like that. But she can't ever really be that because she no one knows no one knows who she is all we know all we do know that she was a bartender that's all we know yeah we know that she was a bartender at a bar on trivia night but after that we don't know anything about her yeah well and maybe those those conversations that they have of all of the things that you have described as bougie maybe that's part of his own insecurities wishing that not only he had somebody who um would kind of fit that bill Mm-hmm. But maybe he knows that he hasn't ever really been able to have those kinds of conversations. Like a challenging to be like the having that experience of feeling challenged. Right. Right. And, or okay. having yeah. that having that um, that feeling that you can keep up when he when he describes her as a um, as a physicist mm-hmm. and he's able to have conversations with her regarding uh, physics and she, right. the narrator even talks about how, um, he's intelligent and he keeps up and he's interested in what she's learning and mm-hmm. all of these things, but that's not really who he is. That's part of who he wishes she was, but also who he wishes he could have been. Right. right. Yeah. <clears throat> I think, I don't know. Other than the, did you have any, any negatives, any things you didn't really like? Because I, I mean, uh, despite the fact that it was just an overall very depressing movie, yeah, which you know sometimes I'm just not in the mood for. I thought it was, a, I mean, it was a wonderfully made movie. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed how unsettling it was. Um, I would for sure watch it again to try and pick up. Yeah, things. no, I, I thought it was well done. Um, I mean, especially for what it was. Um, right. I don't have. I don't really have any glaring issues with it mm-hmm. it's not it's not to say that i think it's great it's not to i don't well, think it's not that a it's, perfect film i don't think it's perfect but no. there's nothing that stands out as a, a glaring weakness to a me. glaring issue yeah so you want to rate it i think i'm ready i needed some uh, one reason i rewatched the ending was so i could think about what i wanted to grade because yeah. i i well, after the, the first time it ended i had no idea I was like, I thought, I think it's, I think it's good, but I don't know. Um, I would give it a B, probably B to B plus. Here's the thing that I think people don't realize about rating is my ratings kind of always, they don't change substantially, but like for me to give a, a movie a B after watching it the first time, it could easily move up or down a little bit after that. So a, a like with Tenant, I gave Tenant a B plus, but Tenant is for me way better than that. I think that was a, a, a low, low rating to give. I don't think, 
I don't know, the, the grade now might be different later. And I think people sometimes don't realize well, that. I, I like think, when you, I when think you part of it is like what you said too um, about how you have to kind of be in the right mood, in the right mindset to enjoy this right, movie. Right. Um, and part of it for me, I'd, th- I'd say I'd probably give it a, a B minus to a B, maybe mm-hmm. a little lower there. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't... I didn't think it was a bad movie by any means. Um, right, right. I just I couldn't I couldn't really decide if I felt good watching it. Like if right. if I personally enjoyed it. Of course, breaking it down from like the film technique standpoint and the mm-hmm. acting and and how right. it's put together. Right. It's a little bit easier to say what's good and bad about it, but right. just personally how I felt watching it, mm-hmm. I can't really decide if I liked it or not. Yeah. Like, part I, of me didn't like it because of how uncomfortable it made me. Right. Right. But also that's the point. And it is the point. Yeah. Watching a movie like that, that's the response that they hope to get and that right. as a as a viewer I would want them to accomplish that. To me, that right. means that they did their job. They did exactly what they wanted to do. Exactly. Right. But also, like, I didn't enjoy how it made me feel. Right. So, right. did I like it? Yeah, but also... Also, eh. that's not a movie I'm going to be, you know, on a Saturday night with my bros and be like, hey, you guys want to watch uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things? <laughs> Hell no. No. I don't even God. know. Honestly, I don't know if I would rewatch it. Not anytime soon, at Not least. anytime soon. I would want to rewatch it just to kind of pick up on the four because I think there's a lot more foreshadowing and kind of leaning into the idea of what's actually happening yeah that I kind of didn't pick up the first time I did pick up a lot more than usual because I think I was kind of looking for it because with Charlie Kaufman I'm always looking for weird things that are going to happen that's the other thing about uh, Kaufman's films is they're very depressing a lot of his movies are about how things suck people are you know people suck and like, yeah. you know, the world might never be a good place. And I'm not always of that opinion, which is probably what that probably was what brings my grade down for all of his films a little bit. Like they're wonderfully made. They look great. They have great actors with great chemistry. I'm always compelled by what's on camera. But I also just don't want to feel depressed all the time. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I don't want to watch his movies and be like, oh, this, that's why I think that there's always a little ding in his grades for his films because I'm not going to give a movie about how the world sucks and we're all going to die an A. That's not an A movie. An A movie is not that. It's just not. Right. It can be it can be beautiful and well made and I still would not give it a high grade because that's only part of the equation. Yeah. No, I agree. I think a film like this um it don't it only has a certain ceiling. Right. Um and it might not be it's ceiling might not be very high, but I think for what it is, it yeah. did. I think they did a wonderful right. job. For, I it, think it has a low floor. Yeah. Or no, a high floor. A high floor. High floor, high yeah. low, low ceiling. ceiling. Yeah. There it I is. don't, but here's, I don't think Coffin wants people to revere this film. I think Maybe he wants not. people to feel unsettled and kind of like, oh God, about it. And that's why, I mean, that's why his films are always generally very well received because I think most people recognize that he's not trying to do like this insane, you know, like, Academy Award winning crazy movie. He's he's trying to make people feel like he feels about the world. And he does that successfully, but that doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, I'm going to prop up his movies and say this is a must watch. I highly recommend. Yeah. I'm going to watch it, you know, well, and five at least, times this At least week. in this case, he portrays that through characters that feel the same way. Yes. And who are trying yeah. to do the same thing. Right. Right. Overall though, I 
It's a good one of the better Netflix movies for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think and I think as time goes on, guys like Charlie Kaufman will probably start landing more of their films on Netflix. Um, I think it's already kind of happening a little bit. Kind of the smaller, lesser-known indie directors are starting to to get deals through Netflix because despite the kind of the the crap that Netflix pushes out in their original content, um, they do have a lot of interesting films coming out. It's just the problem is for every Netflix movie you watch that's like, okay, this was really good. There's five or six others that are like five or six hundred. Why in the hell did I just click on that? Why? Why did I waste my time? Yeah, no, I think I think it'll be a good platform and and yeah, and because part- because they just throw money at people. They they say right. here's money, make your make your make your movie. Well, and I think that's that's why um, indie films have been so successful through Netflix mm-hmm. um, is because they're getting that platform finally right. to, to e- do what they want to do. And right. and to be honest with you. Movies like that don't require a lot of money anyway. No, yes, Netflix no, has money to throw around. They mm-hmm. have all the resources anybody could possibly want. Right. But the movies like that are not going to require a big budget. It's not going to matter um, when it comes down to making the movie. It's more of just finding a, a company that will kind of back you on it. Because right now, big production companies um, wouldn't want to take on a film like that. Because they're not going to, right, they're not going right. to see the return in their investment that they would hope for. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to see if I can find the budget for this movie. I'd bet you it's super low. But oh, yeah, I'm I mean, sure. I can't be more than a. I don't know. I can't find it. But I agree. There, and even with even with non Netflix originals, all the indie films that they've put out that are non Netflix originals, I can imagine. That's like that's like the greatest thing to happen for indie films ever. Because you're on a platform now where it will probably never go away, so your film will always have that exposure that it wouldn't have if you did a limited, you know, a limited theatrical release. Yeah, the only problem I think is just the sheer volume of TV shows and movies right. that they produce. Because right. eventually, a, a movie that comes out now is going to be irrelevant just because of the saturation. Because yeah. Because of oversaturation, because well, yeah, it just kind of goes into the fold, and it's hard to find. But that's kind of that's kind of the not the problem, but that's just kind of always been a result of indie filmmaking. Is indie films don't require these, you know? I mean, I'm sure every indie filmmaker would want a big budget and a huge crew, but because they're so light and so kind of um, kind of thin on like how many people are involved they're kind of easier to just crank out because there's just all you have to do is have these 10 people making a movie. It's like, it's like guerrilla filmmaking almost. So because of that, you get a lot more independent content. And I think that kind of, that kind of leads into having a few more bad movies than good movies because studios by and large, unless you're talking about transformers or, you know, the pretty much any series a big studio puts out, you know, studios, latch onto movies that they trust that they know they're going to get their return on and you know you don't get i mean independent filmmakers don't always get that right well and and i'm pretty sure i'm thinking of ending things is based on a book um, it is if, yeah. I, if i heard mm-hmm. correctly though the book was published in 2016 and it was that author's first um fiction novel mm-hmm. so yeah with source material like that obviously it can work it can <clears throat> make a good film mm-hmm. but bigger bigger studios are going to be looking for something that's a little more tried and true something that's right. already more, seen success especially yes. if they're not going for 
original films. Right. right. Um, and But Netflix kind of allows for that. And it's like you said, there might be a few more um, bad movies right. than good. Right. Um, the risk is higher, but right. you often get more rewarded, I, I think, because independent films are usually far more uh, dedicated. Right? Oh, the, I think the so. The people making them are far more dedicated to telling something, giving the viewer something compelling, something that they think they will be absolutely engrossed by whereas you know when you get into studios sometimes they are they're just they're just looking to make their money yeah right? absolutely and unfortunately kind of a byproduct of that is that um <clears throat> good indie movies are labeled as just that good indie movies they're not they're very rarely and which is a horrible label, label absolutely to give them. i kind of have a problem with um with it anyway because uh, with just the idea of indie film of right. course some of the best movies i've seen have been indie films right but a good movie is a good movie regardless of yeah. how it was produced well, a good a good psychological <clears throat> horror a good horror movie should be a good horror movie regardless right. of how it was made labeling something independent is i don't know you shouldn't have to know that it's an independent film right right a, a movie is a movie you should be able to find out that it's an, you know, if you look into it and find, oh, the production budget was $2 million, so it is an, in, probably an independently produced film. That's great. That's fine. But to, yeah, to, to just immediately label something that wasn't this big studio production as an indie film, I think is such a disservice to the people, especially the people creating it. Yeah. Like, come well, on, you want to call me and an the indie side film? Of, like, come the on, The flip man. side of that, of course, is they're getting the exposure that they might not otherwise get. Right. Um, right. And there might not without that label of indie film they they might kind of get buried by the heavy hitters in in hollywood or even the netflix type productions with <clears throat> larger budgets yeah they might get buried by that so having that um label can help them as far as getting exposure but it, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that that's necessary because right. i wish right. good film would just be appreciated for what it is right regardless of budget, regardless of crew size, regardless of even, you know, the um, acting availability, who mm -hmm. they're able to, to cast and things right. like that. Right. That's all I got, man. This movie, yeah. this movie took me for a ride. I don't know if I necessarily loved it the whole time because it made me sad and made me think, wow, there's people that exist in the world that think about, that, that spend their life just imagining what their life could have been like. Hey. But hey, it was well made. Welcome to the real world. Smash the subscribe. Smash the subscribe. If I button. if I say that, am I fired? I will literally punch you in the <laughs> face. <laughs>